0: Welcome to the PGN Podcast. With this podcast, we're looking to normalize the conversation around flooding. What happens behind the scenes, lifting the curtains and the mystery that can sometimes come into play when you're either involved with flooding or trying to protect your home. We're talking to some experts in the industry and relaying some of the experiences we heard from some communities. Hopefully, after our series, you'll have a bit more information to help yourself or help others in an emergency where flooding is involved. We're back. Um, I'm Meshitaka and that's Carl Hodgson. Today's episode, uh, we'll be kind of looking, have a closer look at how flood risk management is regulated in England and also the people, the different people that all have responsibilities as, as communities, sometimes we feel frustrated when we want to reach out or need support and we contact our local council and we're told to contact the water company and vice versa. And the whole point of today is to um, explore the systems behind that process and also hopefully to kind of create a bit more awareness um, so the next time something happens, you know exactly where to go.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so today, um, obviously, coming from a, a local authority background, when flooding incidents occur, we deal a lot with um, the Environment Agency and Northumbrian Water. So it, it's great to welcome back Richard Woodhouse, who's the Sustainable Sewerage Manager from Northumbrian Water, to, to join this discussion. So welcome, Richard, to kick off. Um, you know, the, the Flood and Water Management Act is something that shapes what we do as as risk management authorities. So, um, you know, how did that come about, and and
2: and how did that change how you worked for Northumbrian Water? Yeah, I think it, yeah, it, it's worth to understand that the Flood and Water Management Act was a direct consequence of the Pit Review. Uh, pit Review was a direct consequence of the flooding in summer two thousand and seven. So lots of the, the country. Uh, was underwater in 2007. I think there was 55,000 properties flooded, about 7,000 people were rescued. But unfortunately, 13 people lost their lives in that, those flooding events. Uh, you probably remember Troogsbury uh, Cathedral being uh, an island with half the Trukesbury being underwater and uh, high Water Treatment Works, so there was bottled water going out. Uh, I think it was the biggest loss of infrastructure uh, since the Second World War. So, so Michael Pitt uh, then produced a, a report in 2008 which he made 92 recommendations uh, and some of those recommendations made their way into the Flood and Water Management Act of 2010, mm-hmm. uh, including, uh, you know, we should work together in partnership and, and uh, so when you were saying, Meshi, about people not knowing who to contact and, and how we put things in place, uh, it, the Pitt review did express what should happen in those instances uh some of those recommendations for local authorities water companies environment agency uh even down do you know uh, people should have a, a resilience kit for themselves and a flooding kit for themselves i think that was one of the recommendations yeah. so michael pitt i don't know how you put that into the law and legislation and it hasn't uh, but there was in there about having a torch and all your insurance documents and all that sort of stuff. So it was very wide ranging, it was very thorough. Uh, and uh, I think there was also thoughts on there having a single authority or a single organisation in charge. Uh, but there was also some realisation that people are responsible for different things. Uh, so... You know, the Environment Agency, if it's a named river, it, it's their responsibility. Uh, if it's a non-named river and it goes through your land and you as a riparian yes, owner. An, or,
1: an ordinary water course. An ordinary yeah. water course.
2: Yeah. You're responsible and you, you should. You have a responsibility, you're under law to maintain that so it doesn't cause an issue to others and yourselves. Uh, water and sewerage companies, you have obligations under the Water Industry Act, uh, when a public sewer and what we should do for public sewers and uh, that doesn't mean it never floods I think we've discussed on a previous episode it doesn't really say that things will never flood again it's all about managing risk uh, and there's there's also landowners and lots and lots of other uh, and if you're a property owner you've got a, an obligation to maintain your property so it doesn't uh, impact on others so you, you shouldn't have a disrepair or do something deliberately to pass your water to somebody else to cause them a problem, you could be liable for whatever costs they incur. Uh, there's also the common law negligence and nuisance, uh, which can be used by other people to say, you, you did this, it was negligent, you caused me a, a nuisance, therefore I'm gonna claim back. So there's, there's lots of elements in there in Existing legislation and in the Flood and Water Management Act, right? yeah,
1: yeah, because obviously there's a Land Drainage Act, um, as well that, that plays a big part, and, and some elements of that changed as part of the Flood and Water Management Act, um, and then you know things like Highway Drainage and um, Town and Country Planning Act, there are drainage and flood risk considerations as part of that as well. So we need to kind of there's a wide range of legislation, yeah. is probably the best way to put it, but but ultimately. Our industry is led by the Flood and Water Management Act. Yes. yes.
0: But I think one of the things um, that the Flood and Water Management Act does is recognises a different duty orders. So Richie, we're going to take us through who these people are. They're referred to as the risk management authorities. Who are yes. the risk management authorities?
2: So the risk management authorities uh, can be varied and, and lots of people can be risk management authorities. So the local authority... Uh, is a risk management authority. If you're a unitary authority, uh, you can be, you're normally the lead local third authority. Uh, the environment agency, they're a risk management authority, but they have overall responsibility for trying to ensure that all risk management authorities uh, carry out their duties. Uh, water and sewage companies can be risk management authorities, uh, and there can be others, you know, other utilities, other infrastructure uh people who own railways and the like they can be risk management authorities. It can be quite uh all encompassing. It mm-hmm. can't be an individual landowner or an individual property owner. Mm-hmm. Uh that's not an authority. That's that and you're not there to try to mm-hmm. to manage your risk. And I think it is it's tr- ensuring that we emphasize it's to risk management. Again, it's not the total alleviation mm-hmm. of flooding. <laughs>
0: I mean, Carl, I want to pick on you because you're council, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so even even in the conversation around local authorities, yeah. you want to take us through the different elements within that.
1: Yeah. So so obvi- obviously, flooding, as, as we've covered in a previous podcast, there are many sources of flooding. So, um, you know, flooding from main rivers and the sea, which 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 uh, already mentioned is the Environment Agency, and then um, sewer flooding uh, would be Northumbrian Water, as it were, and then surface water. Ordinary watercourses and groundwater would be um, the the local authority of the lead local flood authority. Um, so the, these are obviously all outlined in the Flood and Water Management Act. Um, but as the local as the lead local flood authority um, under section 19 of that act, we have a, a duty to investigate flood incidents, and that means you know if a flood incident occurs, um, and, and the act does, is not very descriptive on what constitutes as a formal investigation. Normally, I think local authorities, if they get a phone call after an event, they'll go out and have a look and then engage with the relevant authorities. So, you know, if we look at things like Thunder Thursday or, um, you know, um, Babette or... Um,
0: Kieran. Kieran.
1: <laughs> still, still, yeah. Um, so uh, you can tell I was on leave for that one. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we would have a a, a mop-up meeting, pardon the pun, with, with the tech support team from Northampton, so not Richie, but a different department. They talk what they did, they've had coming in, we talk about what we've had coming in, and we'll try and work out... Who is the best person to respond and look at a, a potential long-term solution if it was, or engage about resident? Um, so that's that's the key role. Um, but that is also, um, you know, a, a, a duty within the um, the Flood Water Management Act that we as lead local flood authorities have a, you know, a duty to work with other risk management authorities. In in that, we also have um, a a duty to promote sustainable drainage as well. So that's looking at plan applications that are coming in and ensure that they are not posing a risk of flooding to either the people who are buying these new properties or new developments or that new development is impacting other existing properties as well, um. So, so in summary, that's that's sort of w- where we are as local fl- lead local flood authorities. But within the local authority itself, you know, we have responsibilities as a highway authority to manage manage surface water from the highway, um. We own land, we own open spaces as well, and, and there's that landowner element that other landowners would have, and um, but also as a, as a planning authority and then um, a, a category one responder from um, the resilience perspective as well. So it's not just the Flood and Water Management Act and what the flood management teams within councils would do. We've also got to work with other internal departments, um, and and more so now you know with with things like sustainable drainage and when we're putting in flood schemes where we can claim money from the environment agency to, to better protect homes. We've now got to look at things like um, ecology, biodiversity, because it's not just about water quantity now, not about how much water we we store or or, or move from a, a, an at-risk place to, to somewhere else, but also we've got to make sure about water quality's got betterment and, and we're creating biodiversity net gain as well. So we're working more with landscape architects, um, planners, um, ecologists, you know, there's, there's a whole suite of people, even transport planners, t- to some respect as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's becoming a very integral part of local authorities and how how they're moving forward.
0: Coming back to the um, the Flood and Water Management Act, it obviously created the role of what is now known as the LLFA. Yes. But what else did the Act do? What else did it kind of create in the space of flood management in England?
2: I think it was that the formal responsibility to to work collaboratively. And to, to look at uh, not, it's not me, it's what can we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to a certain extent, you know, some some people are doing that anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just formalized good and best practice within the industry. So it's not as if we never talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, You'll you find, especially in the Northeast, it's a, it's a very... Small community and there's only yeah. so many people, and you end up just yeah, talking to the same I, people all the time. Yeah, uh, which is which is really good has a big positive relationships, uh, but really it's formalised those relationships and really it led uh, in our region to the the uh, Northumbria Integrated Drainage Partnership, uh, and that was looking at how we expand what we do and how we work together, as, as Carl explained. Yeah, to how we can come up with better solutions and and manage risk better amongst ourselves.
1: So, you know, what, one example where as a local authority, I was looking at doing a study in a certain area and um, Northumbrian water looking at doing a study in the same area. So I'm looking at surface water flooding, Northumbrian water looking at sewer flooding. If we work together, we can create a better, more robust, more affordable and more economically viable solution. So the Northumbria integrated drainage partnership is, is helping us deliver schemes that way um which you know that nationally it's it's been it's been referenced in uh is it the jenkins jenkins review wasn't it yeah. yeah um and you know that's that's really really good to see that the good hard work we've been putting in over the last 10 years since the formation of the partnerships you know being being rewarded and and you know myself and andrew doherty who's uh the um coordinator for the nidp we've been to you know do national and presentations on 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 the work and partnerships, et cetera. And you know, I, I think it's we're at a point now with a partnership where it's not just looking at capital schemes, it's not just looking at solutions, but how we as risk management authorities can work better together in in planning and policy and delivery. So when we're saying we're working with other 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 risk management authorities, it's not just you know as a council, it's not just um, the the water company. Not from remote and the environment agency, but its neighbouring authorities as well, making sure we're consistent in in knowledge and information sharing as well, which I think has a has a great value. Um, you know, even collaborating to better train our members of staff. Um, you know, we have we have training days that we we collaboratively fund through the NIDP and that's not just for LLFA officers but that's also for um, Northumbrian water officers and potentially consultants and environment agency officers so we're trying to use that upskill because there's a massive skills shortage in the area, that's going totally off topic to this particular episode but you know it's something I think it, it's important to understand that that change in legislation to encourage us all to work together, that's the fruits of that, that's how we've perceived that as a region.
2: Yeah. And I think if you, if you take your, you know, your project groundwater, Northumbria, you take that as a natural extension, uh, and, uh, how groundwater can impact and on assets and, and how it can uh, cause flooding or be part of the reason why flooding occurs. I don't think that may not have taken off without the relationship yeah. being built up over time. And, uh, you know, it's to start thinking, and I knew nothing of the underground mine working systems and where it would pop out uh, if, if things failed. Uh, certainly know that now. Uh, and it's not something that's, that's always been nothing that's been forefront of our minds, but it is a contributor. And I, I think that the flood and water management act helped us work together. Uh, and, and again, I think that NIDP and uh, your project groundwater Northumbria is a, is a consequence of that.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and and again, I think the studies we've done in the past through the NIDP haven't considered groundwater. But you know, Chappell's coming forward in the mm. gated area, and that's somewhere where there's known groundwater issues. So you know, bring this to the table, and we'll see how we'll see how different you know that report is, and and how that approach has changed. But you know, again, that's the first project coming forward where groundwater is going to be a part of it. And um, so even you know, even though it's a well formed partnership it's still evolving it's still changing and we're still reviewing how everything goes forward yeah
2: and we're, and we're looking well, in a certain extent that you know there's a, there's an emphasis now on storm overflows mm-hmm. and discharge of overflows to the environment uh that will cost a lot of money that but that will open up opportunities to not just link flooding uh together under the flood and water management act is really taking that that next step further and say well you know we've got a, a another issue where we need to resolve something. How can we bring flooding into that? Yeah. How, how can we, you know, if, if we've got to reduce uh, a discharge from a, a an overflow, and we're going to do that by nature-based solutions, can that nature-based solutions be adapted and used in a different way yeah. for when flooding comes? Uh, to to store that flood water yeah, and yeah. and that just brings uh, it uh, the next level. Yeah,
1: and again, and, and again, you know, the 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 more water we, more surface water we stop getting into those combined systems, the less CSO spills we have. In essence, and and if the LLFA have got responsibility for surface water and there's funding available to, to reduce the risk of that, and Northumbrian Water are trying to reduce the amount of their CSOs, it's it's critical we work together. But the, 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 the CSO spills, and, and you know, but this has all came to light from the Environment Act in 20, 2020, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and again, that's changed how, as LLFAs, or well, certainly as a water company, every one act to gain slightly. And, and you know, that's, that's going to have an implication in addition to Schedule 3 of the Flood and Water Management Act for new developers. So everything's, it, it's a constantly evolving. Yes. Probably by the time this podcast comes out, there'll be another announcement. <laughs> of- I think
0: as long as we continue to revisit and to respond to the environmental challenges, which is what this is, yeah. um, there's always that value to kind of always checking back to see where you are. in the wider picture really, water and sewage companies. I mean, we've talked about the risk management authorities and then we've touched on the NIDP, the kind of partnership which allowed for collaboration between these management authorities. I just want to explore the systems behind this, the the different authorities. So you've described the fact that the Environment Agency has kind of a a overarching responsibility um, to oversee, should we say, flood management in England. Um, the water companies have a slightly different position in that stream, don't they? In yes. how they operate.
2: Yeah, and it, it, it's worth understanding water and sewage companies. Water, so water and sewage companies, companies are so yes. different, uh, but water and sewage companies obviously we provide water uh, and clean and wholesome water, uh, which tastes good. I'll have to get that in. Uh, and then you've also got the the opposite side, the dirty water side. I think it's a dirty water side people don't think of that often. Uh, if you turn your tap on, it comes out, you see the consequence of the turn the tap on. If you flush your toilet, you don't see the consequence of that flushing the toilet. Out, out of sight, got, out, out, of out of mind. Out of mind, yes. Uh, and I think there's this aspects of how water and sewage companies work. Uh, one, it, it shall never mix. You're clean and you're dirty, should never mix. So we are split into not two companies, uh, but there's definitely a water side and a wastewater side. Uh, And from that wastewater side, uh, we've developed drainage and wastewater management plans for the first time, which we published this year. The whole of England, all the water and sewage companies in England did that. Uh, That outlines what we're going to do for the next 25 years. Uh, and beyond we've got a long-term delivery strategy which covers water and wastewater uh, and what our plans are for uh, flooding and for other environmental aspects but we are funded uh, predominantly for statutory obligations uh, and we are funded by our regulator of what uh, economic regulator uh, on a five-year cycles our draft business plan for the period 2025 to 2030 went in on the 2nd of October uh, and a lot of work from people in autumn Water to get that there uh, there's lots of queries coming back lots of uh, toing and from throwing between now and I think it's June when we get our draft determination that then uh, allows us to invest it tells us how much money we can invest uh, and how much we can raise bills by or how much we can charge customers so remember this is all uh, money that comes from people in the end uh, water company water and sewage companies uh, invest a lot uh, it's it's in billions of pounds i think the next five year period between 2025 and 2030 will be our biggest investment ever it's probably in excess of Two and a half, three billion pound around those numbers, uh, and that then means that bills increase over time. It we borrow money as a water and sewage company, and uh, we make a return on that that investment as well.
0: So the review you're talking about was that the PR twenty four that yep,
2: period. That was periodic, periodic 12, review twenty four. Yeah,
0: because we we tend to go between them. I used to get confused: as a periodic review or price yeah. review?
1: Yeah. And, it's then, then, and then view, and yeah. then and then just to get me any other um, acronyms out out of the way here AMP is asset management program yeah yeah so, yeah,
0: so yeah. That,
1: that's your key and. Not NW, not from Green Water.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it should be NWG though, not yeah. from Green Water yeah. Group. But, um, but it's a fair point you calling me out because not every water company is a sewage company. So you have water only companies in England, and you have water and sewage companies. Yeah. So in the Northeast, we have NWG Group, which is NWL from the Northeast, but we also have, for example, Hartlepool Water, which, which is, is just Portland. a water company. Yeah. So that that is a fair. Fair clarification. Yes. Sometimes you the, get used to just shortening it to just your water company, yeah. but there is a slight distinction between the two. Um, so yeah, so you've just you've talked us through the funding process. I think that's that's kind of where sometimes the getting different authorities to align can be challenging. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to come go to Carl because again, as somebody who, yeah, so yeah, how the kind of funding process from. An LLFA point yeah, of
1: view so, can look like. so the the lead local flood authorities, um, we we have uh, access to to funding from DEFRA, um, so the Department of Environment, Farming, and. Rural affairs, food, 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 rural, rural, rural affairs. affairs. Sorry, yeah. I, I, always, I always, yeah. Um, um, through the environment, which is administered through the Environment Agency, so that's called Flood Defence Grant and Aid, which is FDGIA, um, and that's that's based on a on a six year cycle, six term medium term plan MTP cycle. So I'm getting all my acronyms out here as well. Um, so you know, obviously working here, um, you've got to you've got to understand enough from and water speak and the Environment Agency speak. So I like the term. I ourselves as in LLFAs is biogrymical because you need to know both. Um so yeah, there, there we are. There's my little biogonymical joke. Um so um so basically that flood defence grant and aid that's to better protect homes. So the environment agency have got targets to better protect um, homes at risk from all, all sources of flooding. Um, so as local authorities we we review Um, the the risk of flooding in our local area um, predominantly from surface water and then with the Environment Agency rivers and and the sea so for example if there was flooding from the River Tyne uh, that's something that uh, would be, be led by the Environment Agency. And another example of those schemes are, are Morbeth up in Northumberland and then Team Valley and Gateshead as well, which are flood defence schemes but led by the Environment Agency funded through flood defence grant and aid. So what local authorities look at is the surface water floods. To do that, we've got to look at the, the damages that are incurred by those. So we've got to do something called an economic appraisal and we look at the, the consequences of doing nothing doing nothing is is walking away from that and just no maintenance on anything and just allowing that's that water to behave Mm -hmm. obviously northumbrian water is is a private company they've got their own statutory duties which we need to consider as part of that and and i think that particular element of this process is why you know one of the main reasons we really need to work with northumbrian water because that surface water ultimately goes into a surface water sewer system. Mm -hmm. And or a combined system. Or or a combined system, yeah. And you know, that can have a potential of two miles up a road, if it goes in, it can potentially come out and flood somewhere else. And we've got to make sure that whatever we do anywhere doesn't have a detrimental impact. Downstream. How we do that is we look at those economic damages, and then we cost up a solution to reduce the risk So you'd have do something up and options, and you put them against do nothing options. Um, so it would be a, a, a capital cost. So you know, so it would cost half a million pound to build, and then you would look at the lifetime of that project. So it might be it might have a say a 50 year life span, and you say right, well the amount of times that would flood in those 50 years, the damages might be, you know, 2.2 million. Um, so you'd get you'd get a return of, of four pound for every pound spent. You know, if it was a half a million scheme, just over. Um, so that's that's how that's calculated, and then we would look at that best do something option, and that might work economically. That might be brilliant, but it might not be what social, technically, or environmentally people want or, or best for that place and best for that location, you know, and, and and that's something you have to weigh up as part of this process as well. But but in addition to that, what we, what we tend to have to do in these particular areas, you know, we're on the second MTP now. So we've been doing these schemes since 2013. Um, and the, the cut and dry surface water schemes, they were done on the first MTP. Um, the ones we're doing now, we've got to look at how, how it's, you know, we've got to start looking at other public or private contributions to make these stack up so that might be uh working with schools and we do a lot with the department for education and um, through suds for schools and um, so you know i've been working on a scheme over the last year in kent and bar which is is using that um and then we've got other things like working with the highway authority to better improve highway drainage and manage manage highways um but also people like landowners um and, and charities etc as well and, and it's it's not necessarily a financial contribution but it could also be a, a, a benefit in kind or um you know a, a non-tangible contribution so potentially using um Open space from parks as, as, a, as an attenuation area. Uh, you know that's happened on one of my past schemes as well. So it's while we can get that flood defence grant and aid from from the um, the environment agency, we've got to now find other ways to work work up that that difference. And again, working with Northumbrian green water, they have benefit, and how that goes on in the future.
0: What you're describing there is a process that needs time. Yes. And yeah, it can take years. And I think that that's a kind of recurring frustration yes. from communities. And they're like, well, I flooded last year and you haven't done anything about it. And and it's the understanding that you don't just go from we flooded to a solution. There's a whole process. So when, for example, if I flood today is the first time, you don't just assume it's a flooding issue. You have to essentially um, ensure that it's not something else. Ensure that it's not a blockage. Ensure that it's not a structural yeah. defect. Yeah. You yeah. You yeah. Check and that the sewer is yeah. working and, and, as it should before.
1: And that should be something found. You know, if if we take back to the day of the flood, mm-hmm. that's something that should be found when doing the Section 19 report or doing that informal investigation mm-hmm. after. And and again, it might not be a published report. It might just be informal correspondence between ourselves and Northumbrian Water and the resident. But what we've got to do is give them assurance that we've looked into all the possible causes. And, and, and if, if, you know, if, if the highway gullies have been blocked or if there's been, you know, a, a blockage within an North Marine Water Network or something like that, and that's been removed, that should give assurance. But if there wasn't, what can be done to potentially better protect in the future? Yeah, And, and again, some... it's better protect, it's not
0: prevent. You yeah. Know? And... and I think sometimes you have compound issues where there might be a blockage, but there's also a, a kind of system or incapacity issue or just the fact that the whole system is overwhelmed when you describe the process so there's two different funding streams Uh you have a plan in place which identifies your prioritization and you have a six-year kind of cycle for your prioritization yeah and you almost need both of them to align and then match them up and then coordinate and that's on the back of the additional research and then you have to figure out what the best solution is and then you start talking about, okay, let's do something about it. And then you have to find the skills to do the, the, yeah, the work. Yeah. So whether it's to and, design or to build it. Yeah, yeah, that
1: can be a bottleneck as well, because obviously when we submit, um, you know, our funding bid or business cases, as it's called, um, to the Environment Agency for that money, you know, would do a study to, to understand the problem and potential solutions. We need to make sure that that's done by a, a suitable professional competent yes um and there are only so many of those in the region uh, there are only so many nationally to be fair and you know there are a lot more flood risk schemes that, that need to be done than people who can do them at the minute and um, you know and, and and there is a lot you know you look at the medium-term plan nationally there's a lot of investment you look at the 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 dwMP um plans that Water companies do. There is a lot of betterment. There is a lot of investment in our industry. Mm-hmm. But whether we all at the minute have the, the, the human resource to deliver that is going to be a challenge. And we really need to look at STEM and getting more people involved into our industry and, and passionate about our industry because it's not just civil engineering anymore. You know, as you've talked about, you know, nature-based solutions, is, you know, as part of a drainage and wastewater management plan. <laughs> I've mentioned we deal more with ecologists and and you know more that d- biodiversity. We've got to make sure that climate change is a you know is an indoor to our industry and and you know haven't dealt with um, school etc. Where kids are really passionate about climate change and really want to make a difference to our planet. More than kind of I can remember everyone else doing when I was at school. Mm-hmm. We need to start getting these people working in the industry because they don't see civil engineering as a as a way to to make the world a better place, like naturally, you know.
0: But I think that's the point, though. That civil engineering of old and civil engineering of new are are in two different spaces. Yes. Um, And the focus is designing for a climate change future. And with that means you need a diversity of skills. I mean, obviously, we've got Rhiannon, who's a hydrogeologist on this project. and. Yeah, I think part of this conversation is the enhanced awareness and the understanding, but also hopefully there might be a few people going, "Oh, I wanna, I wanna have a go at being part of the solution and being part of the change," yeah. which is ultimately what we want, really. Yeah,
1: and yeah, and, and flood management—you know, the schemes we're putting in through this flood defence grant and aid process. A lot of them are in the public domain, and Northumbrian Water have got very. So it's as much about place making as it is about engineering. It's a. It, you've got to give social or amenity value to these to these projects. I mean, one one example I always cite is Water Square in Rotterdam, where it's basically a 5 side court um, that's stepped down, and uh, in heavy rainfall, that takes the surface water from the tower blocks around it, and it fills with water to prevent flooding. So you know. 999 days out of a thousand or 99 days out of 100 depending on the return period <laughs> and uh you know that's that's a usable football pitch but then on that rainy day
2: it fills full of water and stops people flooding yeah and i, I think that if we have instances of that in the region that just maybe didn't happen by design it just happened yes so you know if it takes Brunton Park, for instance, mm. it's on the, on the Ewe's Burn. We yes. carry out some works there, but on the really severe events, the city near Newcastle golf course floods rather than the properties. Yeah, and, and that's yeah, how it should and, be. and yeah, and, and and people accept that. that uh-huh. oh, yes, well, it, you know, it, it's really rained heavy, and so yeah, I but, don't play golf, but those people are still in their houses. Yeah, that's how yeah. it should and, be,
1: and, and and as well, I think that's that again part of that economic appraisal process mm. is right. So what's if if we stop the water going to those properties in that agricultural land, what is the damage? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and there will be a damage, there will be a cost to putting the water there, but is that cost significantly less than putting it there? You know, and, and, and again, that might not be socially or environmentally the right thing to do, but it's an option you have to look at.
0: But I guess the point we're making here is that sh- we should be looking at changing the narrative about what the socially acceptable thing to do is. Yeah. Um and also learning from others. And yes, because a lot of the time you go, well we're not we're not the Netherlands because we, we're not on the you know what I mean but it's not about what we're not, it's what we can yeah. learn from them. And you've talked about both of them there. What are the transferable transferable skills transferable opportunities that we can adapt yeah um and, yeah
1: and and the thing about that example in Rotterdam is obviously we are aware that the Netherlands is a very low-lying area mm-hmm. that's got its own um challenges with relation to, to mm-hmm. tidal and, and river levels etc but that's a surface water example and 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 that's kind of like that's not their that's not necessarily their primary concern for flooding but they're still adapting and still putting solutions forward for
0: it. And it doesn't have to be copy and paste, though.
2: No, no, but I, I think, you know, there are opportunities available to us and landowners get a stewardship, uh, if you're a farmer, rather than a subsidy, mm-hmm. uh, to produce something. It's a land stewardship allowance and, and maybe that can be there to, you know, you hold back water mm-hmm. uh, and it from the, reduce the risk of, of river flooding or, or or yeah, whatever, yeah. and that, that that's an opportunity. I don't think we've fully ex, ex, uh, explored all the opportunities available. Uh, we could have done that previously. Uh, it's just something happened which forced us to think differently. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should have thought differently yeah, I'm, anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, Leeds City Council are doing a very a similar scheme to exactly what you cited there, where the River Air, they're building a, basically a dam upstream it's similar to Morbeth as well yes. where yeah. that restricts the flow and then the, the, the agricultural land upstream of that is then is then filled it, it almost becomes a reservoir to hold that water back and again Storm Babette that was that was an example of where the Morbeth scheme worked worked well um you know and, and that's that's a, a great story and, and again it's 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 land that is sacrificial upstream but protects all those properties.
0: It is absolutely. It's that these are all amazing projects which have had impactful change on the communities. Yeah. But the point is, they didn't happen overnight. No. Um, and for them that, to but, happen, it was. do you not think that's the right
2: thing, though? It is it, the because right. we're talking about the management of risk, and, and let's get back to this: the Food and mm-hmm. Water Management Act. It's management, mm-hmm. right? And 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 how do you manage water, and 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 where it falls and where it goes to, and I think that. We need to make sure that we, one, understand the problem before we start spending money Mm -hmm. and and not solving an issue. There's nothing worse than doing something as a knee-jerk reaction and maybe making it worse or maybe passing it to somebody else. And then you've got to say, right, does this stack up, as Carl says, and does this stack up against other priorities Mm -hmm. that other places have? And we can't just physically go in and say, it flooded last week. Let's do something this week. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to make sure it's right, mm-hmm. and it stacks up on the prior priorities. And that's something that people don't want to hear. But there's priorities in everything that we do. You know, we we prioritize investment in highways. We prioritize yeah. where people get uh, hospital treatment where they don't. Mm-hmm. And, and somewhere along the line, it, it's it's the highest priority is this. Therefore, that's where we invest. And and just doing the knee jerk reaction, you'll do it next year, doesn't allow that to happen.
0: Taking the time to do it right is ultimately the right thing to do. The question is around how we manage that process. Because the other side to it is these people who are flooding. There is a mental health capacity, there is a kind of strain of living with flooding. So is do we do we expand the narrative so you're looking at short medium, and long-term goals a so long-term goals is that big project yeah, and i've yeah, touched and on it with what we did with the property level resilience where we went in and were able to give the communities peace of mind by essentially turning around fairly short-term delivery yes, period yeah. which then allowed the capital projects to do what they needed to do and that applied in brunton park and yeah. applied fellgate and what was really successful about the projects at that time is that was something that was consistent when the projects yes. did get turned around. The feedback from the communities were, we really appreciate the fact that we weren't actually looking out of windows every two minutes because we knew we had these doors yeah, and air bricks. Yeah, yeah. But also we could actually commit to the investment and the, the process of the design. And actually what we found was they were a lot more helpful as communities giving you the information. Yeah needed to to deliver those projects
1: yeah and and i think you know working on property flood resilience pfrs as you've mentioned yes in, in the previous podcast that that is something that i think is an industry we see that as an interim measure towards a long-term solution mm. it's just it's it's kind of as you said short medium and long-term solution we need interim measures is probably the best way to yes. put it and mm-hmm. and you know another, another thing that's probably worth raising when we're on the uh, you know on on the on this point is the comms engagement officers at the environment agency and 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 you know again comms engagement and raising awareness of flood risk you know that that's they've been brought in and they're only in our region Mm -hmm. and to proactively go out and talk to flood you know at-risk communities getting flood warnings in place helping people make flood plans Mm -hmm. so if there if there is a risk of flooding happening again people are prepared and know what to do in it and we need to make sure that people are prepared and know what to do in that situation because otherwise people just panic and ring anyone and everyone and they don't really know what to do
0: yeah you have that information there you can respond better and we do have um we have alert systems particularly environment agency their their support systems in place and i guess part of the role of the comms is to get people to be aware that these systems are there so then If the unthinkable happens and you are stuck or in a kind of tight spot, you then know who to call, how to report it and so on and so forth. Yeah, that
2: goes back to to Michael Pitt's one of the recommendations. You'll have a flood kit, you'll have your insurance premiums, you'll have your details, Mm -hmm. you'll have telephone numbers, who to contact, Mm. you'll have all your personal belongings safe. Mm -hmm. uh, So those things that can't be replaced quickly, You don't have to. So, so really, what we've talked about and gone full circle is, you know, one of those recommendations that never really came into to law Mm -hmm. for what people can do. Other people, it's starting to happen, and and, you know, and if the flood wardens and members of society can go out and say these things, and that helps people to prepare.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and as well, getting back to the type of flooding yes. as well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, for example, York, um, you know, where, where you've got river flooding there, they know it happens, yes. but they know when it's going to happen yes. because upstream, the water's fell in Wednesdaydale, Swaledale, wherever, and it comes down and mm-hmm. they know we have got 18 hours or what have you, um, where surface water, properties at risk of surface water, you know, you know there's rain coming but you never know how much rain's going to come yeah. and there's very little or sometimes no time to prepare and you know that they're, the, they're the damaging they're the damaging storms they're the damaging uh, events and they're the ones that play on people's mind they hit quick as well
0: yeah they hit really yeah,
1: quick the, yeah. the, the, the water goes as quick as it comes mm-hmm. um, and you know half an hour later you you kind of you know pe- people are flooded internally the water's even out of the house by that time and and you know you kind of well 45 minutes ago i was watching watching football you know it's just kind of it, it it's surreal what happens um but obviously that mental health impact is is devastating and, and that's something obviously i think we've got a future podcast on as well so i think that's something we'll, we'll save for another time
0: <laughs> richie if there was one thing a disruptive idea that could completely transform flood water flood management um in England right now and for climate change future what do you think that would be?
2: Uh, I would say that one radical idea that the wholesale removal of impermeable area to put porous areas in and even if that means that you start small and you know you stop people privately from doing things but every new development should have porous pavement. Every every and every new highway should be porous. Uh, and they've done it in central London, in Hammersmith. They've, they've dug up streets and put porous paving in for flood risk, and that's all it's for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they used to put plastic cells underneath. The now they don't. They just put gravels and let that hold the water. Uh, if they can do it in central London, in Hammersmith, which is nigh on 100% impermeable, why can't we do it here? Yeah, yeah, and and
1: obviously Scotland, you know, with with the new development, etc., all driveways are permeable. It's it's being done elsewhere, Um, you know, and it's something that would be great to be
2: doing. I totally, I totally agree with that. So, Stop
0: avoiding the issue and just do it. Yeah,
2: well, I, yeah, and it, it, if you know, we've said, you know, if if somebody's going to do something, if you're going to replace a door, replace it with a a flood door. If you're going to resurface a road or reconstruct a road or build a new road then do it and if yeah. and all these new developments have new roads and highways, then yeah. then do and, it. And, and as well, I think this
1: is this is where,
2: you know, as as civil engineer or even as
1: local government, we need to stop thinking in silos mm-hmm. where, right, we are a flood management team, we want to do this scheme, we are the transport team, we want to do this team, we're urban design, we want to do that team. The more we work together, the more we're, we're trained in what each other does, the more we can integrate each other's solutions into our schemes. Um, you know, and and that that's great for for placemaking. But also, as well, you know, if, if a transport scheme has got suds in that reduces flood risk, we can probably get a bit of flood defence grant and aid for that, you know, to yes. supplement that yes. funding as well. So so it works from a funding perspective and it works from a from a social perspective as well, where you're improving that social space. You know, I mean, any, any, you know, imagine. When we've got these low traffic neighbourhoods, for example, that have been going in nationally, um, and you think, well, actually, if, if uh, you know, if if, if putting bollards in to, to, to block off a street to stop rat running or, or what have you, um, imagine if we put suds planters there that mm. became a pocket park. Mm. You know that would absorb water. It would give people a social space, and it would improve the traffic movements in the area. Improve
0: the curb appeal as well. And yeah, yeah well, it
2: would make it would make it holistically a nicer area. Yeah, You know, you, you buy a property next to a, a, a watercourse and it, it costs more. You know, it, yeah. it, it, they are appealing places to live. Mm. Uh, Suds basins were something which used to be just stuck at the, the last extent of the yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the yeah. development. Now, they form developments around it, it's, it's a natural yeah, habitat.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a really good example of that in in Nunthorpe down in Teesside called Grace Towers where, you know, it's, it's a... It, the, the prestigious homes and they all face out onto this suds pond. Uh, Derwenthorpe and York, that's a, that's another example where, where you know, that's the focal point of that development. Um So, you know, we can integrate flood management into better design of of new builds developments. We just need to work out how to do it better, respectively. I mean, at, at, at our Kenton Bar scheme, Kenton Bar Primary School, we've got a base in there to store water we've stepped one of the sides to make it a forest school Mm -hmm. so you know that's that's being completed at the minute so hopefully we can share some nice pictures of that and what have you but uh but yeah i I think you know you've just got to everything costs so much now you've got to spend your pound twice or on two things
2: and i think that we really found the benefits of what we've done previously uh during lockdown people understood that You know, I can only go five minutes away from my house or whatever. I I live two doors away from Horton, Burn, and Cramlington. Uh, It's never been as busy Uh because that's where everybody went, and it was like I'm going to have to go somewhere else because I can't keep social distancing here. Yeah. But it it was an amenity that people used and have continued to use, and we found that the schemes we're putting together, uh, especially when worked in partnership and a sustainable drainage, have that amenity factor. Yeah. And have that uh, that that mental health benefits which no one can measure mm. but if if you can walk around in a nice habitat yeah and and it makes you feel better then
1: that's got to be worth something absolutely and if you can have that on your doorstep now yes. instead of having to get in a the car yeah. there's there's this carbon benefit in that and sustainability benefits in that and you know going slightly off topic here but there's 15 minute communities where you've got you know where you work, where you shop, where you socialise, where you exercise, all within 15 minutes of where you live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I've changed where I live so I can walk my child to school, but there's a butcher's and uh, a fruit down there that, you know, we can get our food and and things and kind of we use our car a lot less. And I think agile work has played a big part in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, not necessarily at a flood risk, but you just think of how wider society is helping us be more sustainable. We need to work more with that.
0: Yeah, it's about how we live as a community, as a society as well, and just making sure that flood management yeah. is in step with that as well. Right. How can we use or how can we explore what we're doing here to better our environments, to better biodiversity and habitats, as well as provide some kind of resilience towards flooding, so more yeah. multifunctional, like you said. The pound has to go much further these days. It does. And consistency is another thing, though, just being consistent. Because really good examples there, but they, they're still few and far between.
1: Yeah, ex- they're examples we all repeatedly use, unfortunately, because <laughs> there are
0: many more. Well, thank you very much, Richard. He has thank survived you. part two. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Excellent. Thank um, you, Richard. But it's been brilliant talking to you, and we're very grateful you make the time. So. Yeah.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks, us. Thank
1: Thanks for listening to the PGM podcast today. We hope you found it informative and enjoyable. If you did, please like and subscribe to the podcast. But also, please, if you find this useful to anyone else, pass it on and spread the word.
0: To find out more about Project Groundwater Northumbria, please visit www.pgn.org.uk.